Once again, it's so good to see everyone out uh, this evening. Got a good number out. Uh, at Pine Grove, we don't usually have one on a on a Saturday night, so uh, I don't know if this is good or not. <laughs> but I tell you one thing, I'm awful glad to see you. Uh, I'd feel awful silly standing up here by myself. Uh, that's actually how I, when I first started training to preach, I would go into the uh, building where I was. Uh, working for the summer and Sunday afternoon, I preached my sermon about four or five times <laughs> to nobody. Uh, I think it turned out better that way. <laughs> nobody complained anyway. If y'all turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, a, a passage that I'm sure that we're all very familiar with. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I, say un, I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then charged he his disciples that they should not tell, should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And so you have this, this moment in time where Jesus is questioning the disciples. Do you know who I am? You, you, obviously they had been with him for some time. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the preaching. They had that private time one with another. And so Jesus asked this question. And of course, Peter, and now when I say of course Peter, if, if there's going to be somebody out of the group that's going to say something, it's going to be Peter. Uh, and so Peter makes this statement, and this is one of the few times that Peter doesn't really put his foot in his mouth. Uh, uh, so, so many times, he, 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 it, it doesn't go well for Peter in, in what he says. Uh, but he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, Jesus, that, that is the correct answer. And, and then Jesus goes on to tell him some things. And he says, uh, uh, that this, that, well, upon this... I'm going to build my church. Now, something that I think that I find very interesting is how people don't recognize there's, there's a couple important things about what he says. First off, he promises to build his church and you will notice that word is singular. He also said that there's going to be authority given, that is the keys of the kingdom. Now, what we utilize keys for is the ability to get into something. 
And what's going to happen is they are going to be presented with the gospel that they are then going to proclaim and then other individuals are going to proclaim that after them. And of course, they are going to, to write down the epistles and the various books of the New Testament. And, and that's what we have today. And that's what we are expected to utilize God's word, not the, the creeds of men or, or ideas or the fads that, that seem to come and go. That's, that's not what we utilize. We utilize the keys of the kingdom, which is the gospel. The term that many of us are probably familiar with in the Greek that Jesus utilized is ecclesia, which means an assembly or a congregation. There aren't very many English translations before the, the King James, but up until the King James, the, the term congregation was utilized instead of the word church. And at some point in time, the building somehow got placed in, in uh, uh, kind of superimposed that. I can remember as a kid, you know, you ever do this little thing with your hands? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Well, when you read your Bible, you don't see God talking to the church building in Colossae or in Rome or in Ephesus. You see Him talking to people. As a matter of fact, to, to talk to a building is kind of something that we sometimes utilize uh, sort of in a, in a frustrating way when we're talking to somebody. We say, man, talking to that guy, he's so, he, he's so hard to hear. It's like talking to a wall. Well, God doesn't talk to walls. God talks to people. He communicates with people. And I think it's interesting that even though so often people, that, that term church, that all of a sudden a building just sort of pops into their mind, if you will read your Bible, you will see that he's talking about the people. Because I'm sure we all had that English teacher that said, okay, you know, when you're reading something, if you don't know what a word means, what you do is you look how it's used in the sentence, and oftentimes it'll define itself. And time and time again, that's what you see. Because you look in the pages of the New Testament and what's going on? We're talking about the church. We're talking about people. People that are doing things. Sometimes there are members of the church that are doing great things. There are sometimes members of the church that are doing things that they need to be corrected for. But they're the communication is to the people. We look at some other passages that are so very important. Uh, to understanding the Lord's church. We come over to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there's a few things in this passage. Once again, you have that phrase, the church. When you put the article the in front of a word, that makes that word singular. We understand that. When we say to, to our children, go get in the car. 
They know which car you're talking about. There's often times when we, when we use that article, we're talking about one specific thing, and Jesus is the head of it. Well, what's the only means that Jesus has utilized to communicate to his church? He utilized the apostles that were guided into all truth and then broke down the, the New Testament for, with the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can know what they knew. Wonderful, wonderful blessing that we have that we know the mind of God. We know the mind of Christ. He is the head. He is the one that is to control the body. And once again, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I don't talk about creeds much anymore because a lot of folks don't know about those, those old creed books. Remember Jerry Parks, he used to, back when I was at Expressway, he had a, he had a lesson where he'd get out the creed books and he could just stack them up. Well, I'll be honest with you, when I was involved in, in my, my teenage years uh, in denominationalism, I had no idea that such things existed, but they do. And sometimes how people worship is not so much in a book, but how a person feels. I think I, I, I find it kind of interesting that people too often see that uh, if I enjoy it, God must enjoy it too, so I think I ought to do it that way. But the problem is, that cuts out the head. What does Jesus want? It's His church. It's about Him. It's got His name on it. It's His body. What He wants has got to be paramount. We also see that it's the household of God. We look over at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15... But if I tarry long, and thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. One of the wonderful things about the Lord's church is it's a wonderful family. We are part of a, a great family if you are the member of the Lord's church. One of my favorite things to do when I'm on vacation is to visit congregations. And I've seen wonderful things. It's amazing how the, the Lord's church brings different kinds of people together. I'm reminded of the church in Philippi that brought the, the, uh, the, the uh, woman Lydia, the uh, businesswoman, if you will. She's upper class and... Uh, she obeys the gospel with her household. And not long after that, uh, guess what? We're going to add to that church the jailer. He would not have been in the upper echelon of society. He's used to dealing with, with criminals and dealing with them harshly. But now he's a Christian. And now they can worship side by side. I've been in congregations where I've watched sometimes the most beautiful things. I can remember some years ago uh, going down to, to Florida and we visited with a congregation. And it was a fairly large congregation and we were partaking of the Lord's Supper. And there was this, this elderly lady 
and it was a very this very large uh, African American man. He was assisting her in in the partaking of the Lord's Supper because you could see she must have had Parkinson's or something, and her hands shook. And him just taking care of her so beautifully, so gently, like he's taking care of his mother, and certainly he's taking care of his sister. Because they're both like precious faith in the household of God. And so they take care of one another. There's love here. As a matter of fact, our God is the definition of love. We look over at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through faith. A temple is a place to worship. Now I know I just talked about uh, well, hey, you know, we're not talking about a building. But you know what? When the church assembles, it's got to be someplace. When we come together, it is to worship God. And it, it doesn't matter if uh, it's in here. Or uh, last time I visited, we, we, during the other gospel meeting, it was everybody was outside. I've preached in uh, small congregations that, that were in storefronts. I remember preaching in one congregation. It was a little congregation. Only went about four rows back. And the first row started about where the Lord's table is. And I was down on the level with the, with the brethren. Just a tiny little group of people. One thing that always sticks in my mind about, about that is because there was a couple that would sit about right there. And through the entire lesson, she just rubbed her husband's head. I, like, uh, I don't know why I like telling that story. But I do. But, uh, but that's the kind of things that you see uh, in the household of God. Just, you're just so comfortable uh, with, with one another. We look over at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. It's us. A priest is one that can facilitate worship. We do that as people. That's, that's, that's such a wonderful thing. And it's the only way to do that. Once again, so many folks, they want to look at things in their way. I'm sorry, you cannot stay home and worship God in your own way. I've talked to too many people that I start to talk to them about their spiritual condition and what they just want to talk about is how they pray all the time. You've got to assemble. You've got to get, get out with the brethren. That's what the Bible teaches. We need one another. We are expected to be with one another. We are a family. We are a spiritual house. We come together to worship God. 
can't do that by yourself. Now, granted, there may be instances where you may be stuck out someplace by yourself. But that's not the, the case every day or every first day of the week. Too often people want to create the norm by looking at the exception. And you're not supposed to do that. Also look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. In Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We are in the kingdom. So many people seem to take the church as being something that God hadn't planned. The Old Testament's we, we, look at, we love the prophecies about the, the Christ. But there's also prophecies about uh, the church, its foundation, where it was going to be founded. It's God's, uh, God's idea from the foundation of the world. But we are in the kingdom. And you might note, it's the only safe place to be. It's the only good place to be. I don't want to be in, in the, under the power of darkness. I want to be in the kingdom of light. I want someplace where I've got a future. You don't have a future out there in darkness. You only have a future in the light. In the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look over Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. I, John, who, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So often in the New Testament, the term kingdom and church are used synonymously. But when you look at even the descriptions, who's the, the head of the church? Well, Jesus is. Who's the king of the kingdom? Well, Jesus is. This is what I want to be a part of. It's, it's important. It's not an afterthought. It's not a... Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, an extra that you can get. You know, you go buy a car and there's extras you should get. So, well, you know, I'll just take the base model. It doesn't work that way. We have to take the whole thing. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now he told his disciples, don't tell anybody just yet that I am the Christ. And of course, from that point, we find in the Gospels that Jesus and the apostles, when they talk about church, they talk about it in a future tense. But then after his resurrection... What we see is it's utilized in the past tense or in the present tense. Look over at Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And once again, 
We may join ourselves with a congregation. But when a person obeys the gospel, what happens in the mind of God is He adds you to His congregation of people. He adds you to His flock. He recognizes you as a member of His household. That is what happens. What happened with these people? They heard the gospel preached. They believed it. I can well imagine Peter, when he, as he's preaching that great lesson on the day of Pentecost, and he finishes with telling those folks that what you have done is you have crucified the Son of God. I bet you as he looked out upon that group of people, he saw faces just go absolutely white. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why did they say that? Because they were pricked in their heart. And Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of their sins. They had heard. They believed. You don't get scared of something that you don't believe. They certainly are confessing Christ by their actions because they recognize whom they were complicit in the murder of. They confess Him as Christ and they're buried in that water grave of baptism. And when they did that, as Ananias said to Saul, arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. Too many people won't take that passage and turn it into a sinner's prayer, which you'll never find in Scripture. You can search it from one side down the other. You'll never find a sinner's prayer. But what you do find is individuals after hearing the gospel recognize their situation with God and when they do that, they, they repent and they turn to God. They, they are immersed in that water grave of baptism. And you know what happens when somebody obeys the gospel from the heart? God adds them to His church. Look over in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. So this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become head of the corner. Of course, Paul is referring, uh, excuse me, Peter is referring to the passage over in Isaiah talking about the stone that the builders rejected. Don't you just love it when Jesus of the apostles utilized Scripture against these people that are supposed to be experts in Scripture. They're experts in utilizing in the way that benefits them. And unfortunately, that's not a, a problem that has gone away with the world. We look over at 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And beginning in verse 6. Wherefore also 
it contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which are be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a wonderful thing to be in the Lord's kingdom among the good people that have recognized Jesus as Christ. So what is the authority? Remember, Jesus promised them the keys of the kingdom. I don't know how many times. Have you ever heard a joke that starts with Peter at the pearly gates? Well, that's kind of where they, you know, I think that's the Catholic church that has kind of propagated that idea. Peter's work is done. He's gone on to his reward. But we have the opportunity to utilize the keys. He was promised the keys of the kingdom. It what, it's what allows you to end. There's never been anybody saved without having a, the word of God to go by. I think it's kind of interesting in, in, in Calvinism, the, the idea that God just, just moves on, on, on an individual's heart with or without his permission. So you... So there's somebody that's never heard the gospel that somehow's a Christian? Not in my Bible. That's not possible. We look over in Acts chapter 2 once again. What we see is Peter utilizing the keys of the kingdom. He's preaching this great lesson. Look, we begin in verse, uh, about verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out, uh, pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I think that's an interesting statement that he's making there. Because you'll note... In, in that first century period of time when miracles and prophecies and those spiritual gifts were going on, do you notice who's being able to do that? It's only people that have been added to the church. The Pharisees weren't able to heal anyone. The, the Pharisees didn't have some gift of prophecy. But you, what you find is you find individuals who have been obedient to the gospel, they get those spiritual gifts until that which, per, which is perfect has come. I think that's very interesting. And, uh, and of course, I think it's also interesting, you know, say, okay, Peter's got the keys of kingdom. And, and what we see here is Peter using the keys for the first time. And since I'm preaching from it, guess what? I'm using the keys right now. When we bring these things to mind, and we remind people that are spiritual, <coughs> excuse me, condition, 
And we tell them what they must do in order to be saved. We are utilizing the keys of the kingdom to get, give them the opportunity to make the decision to, to become a child of God. All that process is just about recognizing the fact that you're in danger and you don't want to be in danger anymore. Because we're part of a body that it's going to work. The gates of, gates of Hades is not going to prevail against this body. This body is one that we can commit ourselves to. Our Christ is one we can commit ourselves to and we can know it is not wasted. You try to make your religion up on your own, it's wasted. If you just believe what somebody else has said, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that's pretty smooth talkers. They say things pretty good. But they're not right. You know, I get uh, a lot of little texts on my phone telling me, you have $250 waiting on you. Well, is that a message I'd love to have? Yeah. But at the same time, I've got enough sense to know that if I go, out, go get that $250, first I'm not going to get that $250, I'm apt to lose something else. Because those things are lies. And you know what? Something else? People could tell you something wrong absolutely unintentionally. Because, you know, when one person believes a lie, they're going to spread that lie to other places. The only safe course is the Word of God to tell us what we need to do in, in order to be saved. The early church recognized the authority of the apostles. And the thing about the Lord's church that's, more, that's so important is it's going to work. I don't know about you all. I spent a lot of time looking at Amazon. Anybody shop online? I was thinking the other day we got all these, these fancy phones and get on computers to do our shopping and still folks have mastered the use of a turn signal. But uh, a little off the point there. But what do we do? We look at people, what people have, that have purchased this thing. Does this work? When you go to buy a new car, you want a car that's going to work, don't you? What's it going to feel like if you get home and you got your lemon? It's embarrassing, isn't it? But you know what? If you try to get to heaven your own way, or someone's own way that's separate apart from the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you got a lemon, you know, you can trade that lemon back in. You could do something about it. But we only get one life, and we want to spend it well. And I think the only way to spend it well is being the family of God. There may be those here this evening that are not members of that body. 
I'm so grateful for congregations like this that make this kind of an opportunity for people to come and to be obedient to the gospel. I'm pretty sure that behind me is a body of water that a person could be very easily immersed into. If you believe that Jesus the Christ is the Son of the living God, and you're ready to repent of your sins and confess Jesus the Christ before these good people, you could be placed in that body of water this very night. And in the mind of God, you will be added to His people. And tomorrow you can come in to, to this building with these good people and you could worship with them in spirit and in truth, partaking the Lord's Supper, singing songs of praise, and doing all the things that God has called for His people to do upon the first day of the week, every first day of the week. So if there's someone here this evening that's subject to the gospel, call when you come down as we stand and as we say.